0: Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name is Tom Rablick. Thank you so much for joining me for this particular podcast. Now, um, people in Australia will know that we're in the middle of a uh, marathon. I guess you could call it um, midway, just about uh, in the lead up to a referendum on the incorporation of an Indigenous voice to Parliament. Now, uh, this has a has a an origin, a history back at the uh, at the very least in 2017 with what is known as the Uluru Statement of the Heart, where Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander representatives got together and formulated a, a statement to take to the Australian people on what their wishes were in terms of incorporation to the Constitution, greater dialogue with the Indigenous communities across Australia, and how they would like to see it play out. Australians now enmeshed in that debate. And joining me today to have a chat about this is somebody who is central to the Yes campaign. He's Thomas Mayo, and he's presented at the Parliamentary Committee not so long ago, but he's also been doing the rounds, talking to groups around the country. So let's let's have a chat to Thomas and see how things are going. Thomas, thanks for joining me today.
1: Yeah, no worries, Tom. Good to be here.
0: Now, one of the interesting things about the campaign so far or the discourse so far has been the, the parliamentary committee process. Uh, for those who don't know, there's something like 131 submissions that have been published. Uh, and and they've come from all over the place. But you had the you had the opportunity of presenting to the parliamentary committee with Kerry O'Brien. What was that process like for you? How did you feel? Stumping up to the crease on, on April
1: the 14th? Yeah, well, not the first time. Uh, we've had uh, uh, several processes since the making of the Ulri Statement from the heart on the subject of constitutional recognition. Uh, there was a joint select committee into constitutional recognition that reported in 2018, uh, and the Langton Kelmer um code, voice co-design code process uh that reported I think it was 2021. Uh and uh and so you know it's not the first time I've fronted a, a committee of this type and uh you know it's just an opportunity, you know, as part of our democracy to to be part of the, the scrutiny of uh, proposed legislation or or you know um or or policy making and um and Kerry and I had just written a book called um, The Voice of Parliament, All the Details You Need. Uh, it comes out on the 17th of May. Uh, and so I, I that would have been why we were both invited to speak at the same time. Uh, we spoke after um, Marcia Langton and Tom Kelmer, um, and, uh, and first cab off the rank was um, Aunty Pat Anderson and Professor Megan Davis, um, you know, all deeply involved in in these matters um you know recognition and uh and advance advancement and solutions for our people to participate in this democracy that somewhat leaves us behind which you know is is uh, difficult to argue when you look at the disparities you know the gaps between indigenous and non-indigenous australians um, the gap in life expectancy education outcomes employment outcomes uh incarceration rates and so um yeah, it was just a uh, uh, you know the committee has important work and uh, and then the parliament will debate it with this committee report. So hopefully our evidence will make it.
0: Well, the it, I've appeared before parliamentary committees before. It's it, it's um in one case when when I was in journalism um, prior to going into. Um, uh, professional organisations and and also in that capacity, it can be rather daunting, can't it? To you know, sit there and, and field questions.
1: Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, I mean it's a very formal setting. Uh, you know, it's not like you're, you're just having a conversation <laughs> with someone, or you know, or even being on a panel at a forum type of thing. It's a it's a very formal a formal process with uh, you know not just uh, uh, you know with uh, uh, Across the political spectrum, you know uh, those uh, senators, members of parliament, are asking you questions, and yeah, it's, it can be daunting.
0: That's only one of the things that you're involved in, because you've got a broader um, you've got a broader remit as one of the, if I can call you this, one of the champions of the Yes campaign. Um, apart from the parliamentary interaction, apart from sort of the official apart from talking to officials, what are the things that you're doing at the moment to, to talk to people about um, the referendum and how a voice is likely to work?
1: Yeah, I've been um, travelling around and speaking with the Australians from all different backgrounds uh, and just trying to, you know, just present uh, what it is um, in a way that cuts through uh, all the misinformation out there uh, to help people understand you know, what a uh, what a, a modest and uh, and yet um, a very practical proposal this is, and uh, and also how it can be unifying for our nation to include uh, you know over sixty thousand years of Indigenous heritage and culture as part of what constitutes us as Australians. Now
0: you mentioned. Dealing with misconceptions, misunderstandings. You know, what are the frequent questions that you're asked when you're travelling? Because that's something that um, you won't normally see on a on a media program, where there's only an interview or what, whatever it happens to be. What are people who are actually going to cast about telling you, other than the the commentators that are that are sitting on on various channels and, and debating the issue on television, what are you hearing?
1: Well, firstly, uh, I find over the last six years of, of doing this, uh, almost without pause in the last six years, uh, that when Australians are presented with the you know the clear and concise information, um, you know, and they uh, are brought to an understanding of the history of um, Indigenous affairs, uh, how um, there's been many statements and petitions before the Uluru Statement, how each of those statements and petitions called for uh, political representation or a voice, um, you know, as, as Indigenous people That um, and that they have always been dismissed and ignored. And when you explain to people that we understand that a voice is important, I think all Groups of human beings with a with a common interest, even nations, you know, um, or uh, business groups, you know, uh, through the business council, industry associations, unions for workers, uh, just like any other human group, uh, we understand that a structure behind uh, political representation, you know, is is important. Uh, a voice is an important thing, and although our voice has been dismissed over and over again when we've proposed it. We haven't waited, and we've established them, Tom, you know, many times throughout history. Uh, in the 1920s, the Australian Aboriginal Progressive Association, the Aboriginal Advancement League, the uh, benevolent governments have established uh, representative bodies like the NAC or the NACC, um, ATSIC, you know, in the late 80s and, and through the 90s. Um, but each time, when you explain to people that each time these voices have been established and They've done some good things, but like all human organisations, they have had problems. But we've always had uh, successive governments come along, hostile government come along and silence that voice rather than deal with the accountability that comes with it and, and support our people to improve how that voice represents our people. Okay. And I think when, when you take people through this, Tom, I'm trying to uh, get to the point where if people can understand that history of why we're calling for a voice in the constitution because it needs protection and it needs a guarantee that it can continue uh and and and, and improve over time and offer those solutions in an unapologetic way um with the, the very real you know now that we have the words in black and white but how it proposes to do that most australians come around to supporting it uh, and the, the most frequent question is how can we help um but then we have commentators out there that are trying to confuse Australians. And what we hear is this argument that this is um, introducing race into our constitution, that this is a racist thing to do. Um, And it's not that at all. This is about an indigenous uh, people um, like other nations in the world and like nations like Canada and New Zealand, uh, like uh, Scandinavian countries, this sort of recognition already exists. And that sort of structured political representation already exists because Indigenous peoples have a special connection. And especially in this country, we have a a unique set of circumstances that are a result of colonisation and failed policies for far too long. Uh, And so really it's about recognising our Indigenous heritage and culture, not about race, because we're humans like everyone else. And the other thing that people need to understand there is that our Constitution already has um, a race power, which you'd know of, Tom. You know, Section 5126 of the Constitution gives the federal government the power to make special laws about a race of people. And this power has been used to make laws about Indigenous people. And uh, the High Court case, the Einmarsch case back in the 90s, uh, established that it could be used to discriminate or to the detriment, not necessarily to the benefit of Indigenous people. So, um. You know, we're just seeking a voice because, uh, you know, it's recognition of our Indigenous heritage and culture, but also a practical way to offer solutions and to help the Parliament make good decisions rather than decisions at Parliament.
0: If we move to the... Yeah, there are several sort of issues that are embedded in the current wording. If we move to some of those, was uh, mm. one of the things that... Um, has been the subject of debate has been the use of the term executive government in uh 129 Roman numeral 2 uh, and anybody that wants to look that up should jump on the parliamentary website, abh.gov.au and have a look at the bill yourself so you can see what Parliament's looking at. Executive government has caused a bit of a debate and it uh, what is what what's that term meant to achieve in the drafting of the words as they currently stand, Tom?
1: Yeah, so it's a voice to the parliament and the executive government. And the executive government being ministers, uh, you know, the heads of the departments. And this is a really important uh uh way for us to not just inform the parliament that decides the laws and policies, but also in the early part of the development of laws and policies. And um, we will shape a voice to the executive government helps shape laws and policies before they're decided on. Uh, this won't hold up the processes. It can make representations, and it would, you know, say, uh, you know, ahead of time, uh, proactively. Um, you know, for example, when the, um, you know, the alcohol ban laws under the Stronger Futures legislation in the Northern Territory was reaching its sunset, um, because it was sunsetted legislation, A Voice would have been able to work, uh, you know, through its its representation of the communities, the people on the ground, on the ground, to develop the policies and laws with, uh, with those uh, bureaucrat uh, decision makers before um, you know that sunset and get the best possible results. Um, you would see uh, you know also an ability to hold um, the bureaucracy uh, to greater account, uh, to influence decisions about programs, uh, programs that might be failing or, or be ineffective or a waste of money. Um, a voice could make representations to highlight these these issues programs that are working and and doing well uh, in any particular state or territory the voice would work to um, to uh, to show, to show how that is working well and get some consistency across the states and territories about about the policies that are uh, um, are having a good effect. Um, you know this is why it's important to have a voice to the executive as well because um, that's where the decisions are made that's where the rubber hits the road.
0: One of the things that, um, and I'll need to declare this to the listeners, I've actually submitted to the Parliamentary Committee. Um, And one of the things I've put forward, which is perhaps useful to discuss at this point, is that if we take the drafting as it currently stands, I've argued and submitted that it is deficient because there's one thing that it doesn't have, and that is there's no uh, one line that says the parliament that the Parliament shall, you know, subject to the Constitution, ensure the establishment of a joint parliamentary committee uh, that deals with the issues related to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander uh, affairs, to which the voice can uh, present the... the issues and incidents or direct referral. The logic of that, at least in the back of my in the back of sort of my um, my thinking, is that when a minister or a department or an agency of a department make a decision but they're not moving, there's a need for some kind of circuit breaker. Um, I, you know, appreciate, you know, the way the words are structured now, but do you think there's a need for something that allows the voice to be able to, um, refer something directly to a parliamentary committee if all else fails? Uh, in relation to, to communicating to a, a minister or a department or whatever, because uh, we see from time to time um, that governments don't respond rapidly or at all uh, to criticism.
1: Yeah, Tom, I think uh, the, the the Constitution, the amendment in the Constitution, establishes, firstly, recognition of First Peoples. Mm
0: -hmm. uh,
1: And and then, you know, in the first sub-clause, that um, there shall be an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice, so a body. Uh, Secondly, as you mentioned earlier, the ability to make representations to the parliament and the executive government. And I think uh, the third point then is really important, I think, to what you're talking about. And you're talking about a matter of process, I think, um, and and uh, yeah. procedure. And so the third point talks about the parliament having the, the power to, and I'm just paraphrasing here, the power to make uh, laws uh, in regards to the composition, powers, functions, and procedures of the voice and all other matters. Uh, and I think the type of uh, mechanism you're talking about could be something that is established. The, uh, the, uh, the the constitutional alteration, the words that will go in the constitution, would not uh, would not stop that your idea from being implemented if the parliament saw it as a way to do things, and the voice uh, were to um, suggest it perhaps itself. So um, I think uh, yeah, I think that's that's the main point: is such procedural uh, processes um, are still possible. You know, and it needs to be flexible, because if we were to put your idea in the constitution, uh, it might take a a whole lot more words for people to fight over. (laughs) You know how referendums are. We're already seeing a lot of debate over each and every word, Um, and it just makes it that that much harder to get through. And then it would make it a permanent thing rather than flexible.
0: I um, yeah, permanency has a strange appeal to me. And you'll understand mm. why when I when I when I mentioned the next bit, and that is I've got a heightened level of scepticism about any um, actions, thoughts of, of, of our political class as a whole. <laughs> mm. So, um, and anybody that's read my material over a long period of time or read my Twitter feed over a long period of time will know that. Um, mm. It's a the concern is getting the system right so that when there are problems AKA for example we've been to a RoboDebt Royal Commission. Yeah. When there are issues like that, that it doesn't need to lead to a Royal Commission that the that an authority, if I can call the voice and Authority, is able to directly Refers something to a parliamentary committee without the fear of that you know, kind of uh, process uh, or procedure uh, disappearing out of legislation at a time in the future. But that you know, I accept what you're saying. <laughs> I accept what you're saying. But it's um, that—that's that—that was the other yeah. line.
1: Tom, there's a balance, I think, and, you know, I'm not saying that your uh, idea is is bad or anything, um, but there's a balance to, you know, how much you put in the constitution and, and how much you need, to leave flexible. And the main thing that happened at the Uluru uh, National Constitutional Convention, you know, which brought together the, the accurate records of meetings from the dialogues in, you know, the covering the entire country, um, you know, involving over a thousand indigenous peoples in those dialogues uh, when we came together and we synthesized the priorities of each of those dialogues the what emerged was the priority was absolutely about having a voice and when we talk about a voice we mean just having a say um, having a say about the decisions that are made about us uh, and, and that being such a vital thing because we know from our experience that the The best policies, the best programs uh, are are always the ones that are made genuinely with the people um, that are affected by them. And um, what emerged was that that was the key thing. Number one, having a voice, the ability to make representations. Um, And this is what the constitutional change simply provides, not a third chamber, you know, not a not a right to veto. Uh, doesn't set up any other committees, but just the ability to have a say. And I think keeping it as simple as that will be the difference between the ability to succeed in this referendum or not. And it's going to be hard enough as it is. You know, um, I don't think uh, I don't think that this is easy. I'm not so naive. Uh, never have even you know with positive polling, um, Australians can. Uh, if they're confused, uh, are more likely to vote no. And, and the no case is running a really strong uh, tactic of confusion. Uh, they don't need to be truthful. They don't need to be um, uh, consistent even, you know, and if you listen to any of their spokespeople, there's all sorts of contradictions and inconsistency, but it's enough to confuse people. And so uh, I think uh, it's, it's a simple alteration to the constitution. Uh and, you know, it is supported by a majority of eminent constitutional experts. And um, I really hope that um, uh, you'll get behind it too, Tom, you know, and, and giving me an opportunity to talk about it. Is, is...
0: I think there's a couple of, um, and I, and I oh. have, but it, it, it's interesting, I've spoken with Dean Parkin on the same podcast series, um, hmm. Shireen Morris, Megan Davis. Yeah. I've had, uh, uh, and I've also interviewed Warren Mundine on a couple of occasions, but that's some time ago. So anybody that's watched the uh, watched the progress of my podcast over a period of time will see that Mm. there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, content there. If they want to hear Shireen Morris or Dean Parkin or yourself or whoever, it's it's all there. And and Rachel Perkins, yeah, um, the Mm. director. Uh, and creative force behind the Australia Awards, the documentary on SBS. Which yeah,
1: and she's co-chair of um, Australians for Indigenous Constitutional Recognition. She's...
0: Yeah. Um yeah. Now, I realise that we're sort of coming close to the end of our time together. The the couple of things that perhaps need explanation. The referendum is about uh, getting the voice to Parliament. Into the constitution, hmm. the Uluru statement goes beyond a voice to parliament, doesn't it? Can you briefly explain the sort of the, the three, the other two components being treaty and the Makarata Commission for the Truth Telling?
1: Yeah, so the, the Uluru statement proposes the constitution enshrined voice. And the makarata commission the makarata commission is to supervise a process of agreement making between governments and first nations and truth telling about our history uh, the uluru statement refers to agreement making and not treaty because there are many types of agreement making that you do um, around the country uh, indigenous land use agreements uh, social compacts you know so treaty isn't the only uh, the only type of agreement making um though also treaties are already underway uh in um, states and, and the northern territory uh each uh you know including uh, a liberal state uh, government in tasmania has committed to a treaty process now and in new south wales uh the uh, uh the uh, party who lost, um, had committed to it, so uh, as did Labor, who uh, won the election in New South Wales. So this is something that's well and truly underway. Uh, Victoria has been going for about a decade now, uh, the most advanced treaty process there is. Um, and so, yeah, the makarata Commission would support uh, those processes and um, and also do the truth going. It's a very important uh, step. For us to take, I think as a nation to have that at a federal level, Um, and I think it's noteworthy that Australia, once again, you know, we're behind in constitutional recognition, uh, you know, in in the world, and we're also behind in in treaty making and truth telling processes, and uh, you know, Commission will be important for us to catch up with the rest of the world.
0: Thomas, you, you, it's been fascinating chatting with you. uh, for the past almost half an hour uh what is it that you move on to next because we've got the committee process in parliament and then that we anticipate that'll sort of be finalized by june i think from memory um what's next for for you on on the road where do you go to <laughs>
1: Uh, well, the debate, um, you know, following the committee's report, there'll be debate in Parliament, so I'll be spending a bit of time in Canberra, uh, you know, speaking to politicians. I hope that your your listeners will support us on that, write to those politicians. You know, it's going to be a very important debate in Parliament. Uh, hopefully it gets through, uh, as you said, in June. And um, I'm just going to continue to work hard. Uh, I I don't plan to rest until the referendum is done because I don't want to wake up the morning after the referendum and have lost by a few votes um, and feel like I haven't done enough, uh, you know, that I could have done more um, to help this be a success. And, you know, I hope Australians, uh, you know, this is an emotional blackmail, this is a reality, that um, if if we as a nation say no to this, we get even further behind on what, you know, on, on, on a matter of justice... Um, and, and decency in how we uh, treat Indigenous peoples. Um, Australia officially saying no to recognising our existence. It's, it's just, um, you know, it'd be heartbreaking, uh, not just to myself, but especially to coming generations that will look back at that moment and say, you know, how did we get that wrong? Um, how did we not recognise such a wonderful heritage and culture that's unique in the world and, and is, it makes us truly unique as Australians, but also that we would have said no to decency, you know, to, to the fairness of just listening to a people. Again, not, not a right to veto, no third chamber, no holding up the processes of government, a very sound and, and well-worked on most eminent constitutional experts in the country have said this isn't going to, you know, the sky's not going to fall in. We're not going to end up in a high court. This is sound. Um... That we could say no to such a modest proposal. Um, I'm going to work hard all the way through, Tom.
0: Okay, I've been talking to Thomas Mayo. He's one of the leading voices in the Yes campaign for the referendum to recognise a an Indigenous voice to Parliament in Australia's constitution. There's also a book coming out in the middle of May, uh, where he's written with Kerry O'Brien, the Palmer ABC presenter and well known journalist. Explaining the boys to you. So keep an eye out. But that Thomas, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure.